Welcome to Community Connection, a podcast produced by Pine Tree Institute, focusing on how our understanding of trauma-informed care and positive relationships can help improve the lives of our children, our families, and our communities. This is your host, Dr. Larry McCullough, Executive Director of Pine Tree Institute, and I am delighted to welcome you to today's podcast, which features a conversation with Dr. Ben Holtberg. Dr. Holtberg is a developmental scientist, former tenured faculty member, social entrepreneur, and experienced marriage and family therapist. He's widely published on topics including adolescent social and emotional competencies, resilience through relationships, and character and identity development through sports. He's led large research teams and has consulted with several high-performance organizations to create thriving cultures. And throughout his career, he's been instrumental in developing tools and resources aimed at promoting resilience through relationships. Completely very compatible with the work we've been doing at Pine Tree. Currently, uh, Ben is president and CEO of Search Institute. Search Institute is an organization that has nearly a 50-year track record of research on the positive relationships that build strong developmental assets in children and youth. We are delighted to have Dr. Holberg with us. Uh, ben, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for, for having me, Larry. I'm excited to be here today. Well, we are excited to talk. Uh, so, as, as you know, uh, for the past several years, Pine Tree programs have focused on the areas of adverse childhood experiences or ACEs, the positive experiences that can help address them, and the concept of bringing a trauma-informed approach to the work we do with children and families. And we know this has been a big part of your work as well. I'm curious, what brought you into this work and why do you feel it's so important? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, for me, it starts out uh, as a practitioner. I, I came into this work um, really wanting to, to work with young people. And I started out as a community, uh, uh, really working in community counseling and then got a job uh, in the school district. And um, I saw the struggles and the pain and the difficulties that the kids that I worked with uh, were going through. And um, I felt like it was uh, a, a, a sense of calling for me to work with these kids, uh, but I realized really quickly that they needed much more than just my individual uh, kind of impact in their lives. And, um, and after you know, experiencing and seeing uh, trauma uh, way too often uh, with the kids that I worked with, I knew that it was impacting me in a way because of even some of my own challenges growing up and difficulties, but but um, it started to, uh, I really started to understand more how we had to change uh, uh, the, the systems around kids and think about how, what are the spaces we're creating for, for young people that had so much potential. And I'll just tell you, Larry, like, for, there is no greater, I think, uh, um, uh, trauma than, or, or let, let me say that differently. There's, there's no greater challenge, I think, uh, in, in travesty in society than to see a young person with so much potential, with so much light, with, with something to give to this world, to make it a better place. 
uh, but to have that ended early prematurely because of uh, traumatic circumstances, adverse circumstances in their lives. And so um, after uh, seeing some of the pain and the struggles of the communities I worked in, um, I really wanted to continue to understand this at a macro level, at a bigger level, which really was the purpose behind me continuing my education to get a research degree um, and to really study uh, the impact of uh, mostly at that time uh, community violence on um, on the emotions and the emotion regulation of of young people in these contexts. Well, clearly, so it's so important and so directly related to so many of the challenges we're dealing with now. Um, and you know, con connected with that, so I, I mentioned you're at Search Institute now. Um, President and CEO, uh, we've been so impressed with the work of, of Search Institute over, I, th I think it's close to 50 years, is that right? Yep. Yeah, it's but, just over 60 actually, yep. Over, okay, over, yeah. so I've been saying over 50, so, yeah. so now I need to upgrade the story. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the work with developmental assets, developmental relationships, um, I'm, I'm curious, how do you see that work impacting some of these issues, you know, going from community violence to the, the kind of relationship work that search does. Yeah, I, I, you know, if you think about searches uh, history, I mean, one of the most important, I think, cultural changers that that or the narrative around youth not being problems to be solved, uh, but that they have potential and they're much more than um, uh, than than their their deficits. I think uh, Peter Benson in the early two thousands really wanted to change the narrative for young people and really uh, help people understand the potential that every young person has. And that's at the core of, I think, who search is and, and how we work with communities and is consistent with my own values as well is to, to hold on to the unwavering truth that all young people have potential and unique purpose to offer this world. And I think that that is a really important starting point for us when we think about adversity uh, and adverse childhood experiences is that that we have to understand the that, that, that these children, these youth are inherently good <laughs> and that they have something to offer the world. Now, it does not mean that we, um, we, we, we don't see the, the, the deficits or the challenges or the adversity in the community, because if we over, if we understate uh, those or don't understand the, the widespread impact of trauma, we, we can minimize the story of pain for many of the people that we work with. But if we only define them by that pain and by that adversity, and challenge, then we're not capitalizing or understanding their strengths of what they have and is already in the communities we work with. And so for Search Institute, I think the history of recognizing strengths and assets uh, within the young person, but also within the community and beginning to leverage and work alongside people in those communities uh, to begin to create spaces for, for young people to thrive has been always critical. And I think over the last uh, at least decade, five to 10 years, 
we've really honed in on understanding what are the ingredients or the elements of a developmental relationship that is, is, is being intentional about shaping that identity, that self-narrative of young people and giving them the, the, the hope to believe that they have something to offer to this world and make a contribution now has been really critical for us. And I think uh, when we think about um, trauma and trauma-informed care, it has to start with relationships. It has to start from the idea that nobody is resilient on their own, but yet uh, it really requires uh, relationships and, and a web of relationships to really move uh, uh, young people to, to this space of resilience. And so um, I, I think we're really at this place now, Search Institute, to really understand these dynamics of how they come together and the challenges and adversities that we face as a society um, and, and beginning to help uh, uh, organizations and, and and, and teachers and practitioners and those on the ground that are the heroes of the story to have uh, um, uh, uh, some resources and support as they do the work. Uh, it's so powerful. We, um, we often use the quote from Peter Benson. I'm sure you know, uh, over so many years of doing research, uh, one thing and only one thing, the power of relationships. Yes, right? yes absolutely. Such a, such a powerful quote and, and so clear. Um, and, uh, and obviously so much, it needs to be so much in the forefront. I, I loved another phrase you just used, uh, unwavering truth. Mm. What a great way of saying that. You know, the, that unwavering conviction that children fundamentally have assets and that our role is to bring out those assets. That's, Absolutely. That's a, that's a great phrase. Uh, so, you know, along with all of this, we're in a pretty interesting time right now. Uh, as we're having this conversation, we are hopefully emerging from the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and I'm curious in your work and, and the work that Search has done, what are you seeing in our communities now? Are you seeing, what are you seeing in terms of impact on children and families? What, what's, what's happening and what should we be thinking about as we're moving into this next phase. Yeah, I think we know that people are tired. <laughs> Teachers are tired and exhausted. I'm tired. <laughs> yes, I, I, and I'm a, I'm a parent as well of young seven, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. And, and, um, and it's just been a, a, a constant, I think, um, struggle for parents, teachers, practitioners, people working with young people, not, not to mention uh, for young people themselves. And I think, you know, one thing that I, I think I, it keeps coming back to me often when we're working with people is really how do we have more grace for each other right now during these times of really beginning to start from this place of grace, of not, of, of not assuming we know somebody's story. Um, because the amount of struggle that, that you know, many of us have faced um, has been disproportionately uh, impacted uh, uh, different communities, and particular communities of color, or, or particular communities where there's uh, uh, not enough resources in those communities. And I think we have to come to the table first from a place of empathy to say, what is the story? What is the story of this person we're working with? And not to draw assumptions because people are tired. And I think kids, if we think about youth even going into this uh, pandemic before the 
pandemic, we saw a rise in mental health, right? A rise in mental health um, uh, uh, issues and concerns and mental health challenges. Um, and, and the pandemic has only exasperated that in some ways. And I think we're really at an important time in our society when we couple that uh, with also kind of the, the, the racial reckoning that's come up of say, we have to recognize all of these intersection of identities and things going on in our society. And only collectively can we make an impact, only through community, only through relationships can we begin to turn the tide uh, because relationships really are um, not just a nice thing to have. I mean, they, 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 they uh, are critical to, to how we function every day. They help us deal with pain better and adversity. They help us find meaning in pain. Um, they help us be able to move towards our goals. They, they make us better. <laughs> and, and I think that's the one thing that I think is becoming more and more clear is that um, we, we really have to start thinking about how do we um, have community solutions through relationships rather than um, thinking about individual intervention or, um, or, or even individual uh, protective factors through this time. That it's only really through a collective um, impact can we change the tide. That's, that is so powerful. And uh, of course, it's, it's been the theme of a lot of the pine tree work is building community and how we create these community connections. Even the, the title of our podcast is, what, what do we want to call these? Is, well, it's really about connecting community. How do we take a community approach? And, and a lot of our work has been uh, education, obviously, and helping people understand, but then also working with all of these sectors of the community. You know, How do we collaborate mm. in a way that we actually start to address some of these uh, systemic issues? Uh, yes. That, that resonates so importantly. The, the other thing you just said that uh, reminded me of a conversation we've been having a lot lately uh, in, in Maine and in a lot of other um, areas of the country, along with the pandemic, there's lots of other things that have started to go up. Uh, one of the, the big issues in Maine has been substance use disorder. Mm -hmm. And the Maine experienced I think in 20, um, I lose my years, right? We've all yeah, lost, totally. we've all lost states here. But uh, in 2022, a 30% increase right. in overdose deaths in the state of Maine. It was very dramatic. And we, we have been looking, we've been talking a lot with communities, the work on developmental assets and risk factors yeah. is so clear that the kids that have fewer of those developmental assets are more at risk for all, all of those conditions that, that you identify. You know, substance use disorder we look at a lot, but, but even all of the other aspects of some of the adverse experiences. Uh, so very dramatic impact from developing those kinds of relationships that build those assets yeah. uh, and the kinds of risk behaviors uh, and the kinds of uh, additional trauma that kids are going to end up experiencing. So really clear connection. We, I saw a statistic ooh, just this past week, the incidence of um, violence in homes. Yeah dramatic increase, right. mostly unreported because it used to be reported in schools yeah. and kids have been out of schools. So 
all, all of these different dimensions I think we're looking at. So I'm, I'm curious, and I know a lot of the people listening to this are saying, so what, you know, in, in your work with search and, and just your other work in general, what are some real practical actions that people can take? You know, and people yeah. I'm thinking of parents, but I'm also thinking of teachers and law enforcement and medical professionals, you know, sort of families and also professional community. Um, what kinds of practical actions can people take at this point? What can people do? Yeah, I think I think the the several things that I would say here. One would be um, us beginning to recognize what how do we become more intentional about building relationships in our life? We all will say they're critical and they're important. Um, and we know that from our own research, people will say that it's important, but there's actually a gap between what they say is important and the intentionality of making time and resources and space and knowing how to build relationships. And, and, and many of us uh, as practitioners and parents uh, often fancy ourselves as good at building relationships. And we've seen some discrepancies between what uh, practitioners and teachers and, and parents report they're doing and what the youth are experiencing. And, and that often uh, uh, we as adults might report that we're doing these um, actions and relationships, but the, the youth or, or the kids are not experiencing that. And so I think we have to take stock of, of, of what are we really creating time uh, for and really recognizing the value of relationships so that we recognize the importance of building those and the, re the relational mindset of saying, okay, I can get better at this. And, and um, but, but with that as kind of the cornerstone Stone, I would say we also have to begin to think about really the, the, what, what, what leads to first resilience. Um, and and the, the truth of the matter is, is as Ann Mastin uh, says, is a great researcher in this area, it's really ordinary magic. And, and mm -hmm. it's providing, and I think there's two core things that we have to make sure that we're addressing with each other and with young people in particular. The first one has to do with answering the question, uh, am I worthy? Am I valued? Am I seen? Am I known? And this really has to do with care, with love. That I see you, I know you, you have something to offer this world. Um, and it's that connection and that attachment but we also know that's not uh, the only thing that is needed to really think about the ordinary magic of resilience. We also need safety. And this is the second question is, am I safe? Is life predictable? And that's, that has to do with trustworthiness. And I think this, these questions around love and trustworthiness become absolutely critical for creating the, the, the ordinary magic of resilience for young people. That if we start there to say that I see you, I know you, you are value, and we're gonna create an, a, a safe space for you. That this is really the crux for me for promoting resilience. And it's the community that's responsible to, to really set that, that tone. Um, and then if we think about going further than that, then because we, we talk about these really important pieces for resilience, that we also have to think about now at that as, as the foundation is the starting point, 
we can start to provide communities of healing where it's collective responsibility, that, that, that you're connecting with people across different organizations, whether it's the school engaging the family or the, the out of school time practitioner engaging the school or, or leaders in the community to say, how can we create a healing context where we feel responsible for creating spaces of healing, where the community healing of healing is happening within the community. And I think that's really, really critical too. And then I think that's, as we go through resilience to healing into thriving, I think we can really start to move into now it's recognizing those sparks, those potential and lining up and what are the assets that can help bring these out in young people? How can we begin to, to expand their possibilities of what's out there for them and provide hope for this? How can we begin to share power and let young people solve their own uh, things that come up and include them as a voice in what we're doing and what we're saying? But we have to start with that foundation of trustworthiness and love, of expressing that care and providing that support. And, and really, before we start to move through the, these spaces, because we, the, without that, those fundamentals right now, as we think about resilience, it's going to be really hard to move as a society from resilience to these healing spaces to thriving. Well, so many, so many themes that you touch with. The, the intentionality piece, I, I think, is huge. Uh, and a, a conversation that, that we've had with a lot of professionals, particularly, is like, as you say, yes, we all say that, but the, the intentionality piece of what do we do specific things that actually build it. Um, I'm curious, and then, and then those two themes of, you know, do, uh, am I seen, do, do, you know, am I there? And, and also the safety piece. I'm curious about the safety piece, particularly now. Have mm -hmm. you, what kinds of things you've seen or heard people talk about that where they build that sense of safety? You know, what kind of actions do people take to do that? It's sort of easy to talk about, but yeah. I'm curious what, what, what do people actually do that creates that? Yeah, the safety, the safety to me has to do with the relational climate that you walk into and that there's mm -hmm. clear expectations and, and clear, um, clear standards that are the norm of that group so that you know what to expect. So when a young person walks into a classroom or a space where there's programming or, or, or uh, even uh, uh, walking into a, 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 a nonprofit that's giving them some sort of resources, whatever it is, that there's something that, that says, I know what to expect in this space. There's not going to be any surprises. And anytime something happens outside of the, those norms, that it's, it's brought back. So to think about things like bullying, if, if we say respect is a core value of this group, or, uh, and we're able to really create, well, what does respect look like for this group to create safety? So everybody knows that there's that they're safe. So there's the physical safety piece, right, where, where of course, we're, we're providing uh, um, um, really some sort of uh, structure to, to whatever's going on. And then there's that psychological safety, that, that, that safety that, that, that I am safe in this space because I know that people are going to treat me a certain way, that it's going to happen on a regular basis. And for some young, young people who have experienced 
um, uh, trauma in particular, there's a physiological imprint that can be left there towards reactivity. And so really safety is also the consistency that I might, I might behave a certain way, but I know that the, the response to my behavior is going to be consistent. And in fact, I might test that for a while because it's my way of pushing you away or my way of, of uh, testing the boundaries. But that consistency over time becomes the trustworthiness. I can depend on you to show up regularly. I, I, I can, um, I know what to expect. I, I, and those are the things that I think is, is important is creating the physical safety, but also the psychological safety for young, for, for uh, youth and, and young people to walk into. Yeah, I mean, and particularly when we're coming out of a period where there has been very little consistency, right? Even even more so, needing to uh, sort of put that back into our lives, uh, and I think a tremendous reassurance for many children, young people, even adults. It's, you know, that's some consistent pattern of life. So, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and even thinking real, real, like routines that become rituals for people, right? Like I've been in spaces with, you know, amazing leaders and practitioners. And what you get a sense of when you walk in those spaces, there's routines that become rituals, meaningful rituals for people, whether it's a fist bump on the way by, whether it's a everybody, uh, uh, you know, uh, says hi to each other, whether whether it's whatever it is, there's some sort of community ritual that that often emerges that becomes very meaningful for us. We, we really crave those kind of routines and rituals for our lives. And for young people, creating that experience for them when they walk in the door is really a powerful way to create safety. Yeah, no, so powerful. Uh, as you were speaking, you reminded me of some research uh, from Search Institute that we have always found really fascinating that many young people report that some of their strongest relationships are formed in out-of-school activities. Mm -hmm. And I know you've got a big background yourself in some of those activities. I'm, I'm just curious why, why you think that is. We have some ideas, but I'd love to hear you. Yeah. You know, what? what is it about these types of activities and relationships that makes them so powerful. You know, I think many people assume, well, the strongest relationships are going to be in schools, but according to Search Institute research, not necessarily so. Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about your perspective on that. I think it's it. There's several factors, and I, I did that I really uh, would hypothesize here, but a couple of them stick out to me. One is. I think there's there's something about out of school time spaces that there usually is some sort of connection to a shared purpose, something bigger than the self. So if you think about sports, you have this kind of team mentality towards that. If you think about civic engagement, kind of out of school time, uh, uh, or even some community based ones that there's this there's this um, pay it forward mentality, even like there's something about improving your community and building up your community. So I think there's really this opportunity for a group to have a solid uh, uh, identity around something bigger than themselves together. So there's there's this, this cohesion piece that I think can happen. Um, I think there's also smaller ratios often of, of, of uh, adults in their lives that give space to uh, really making deeper connections with young people. And I think it's probably true with some of the more unstructured ways that possibly there's, there's 
opportunity for connection with young people that are not so common in schools, where this kind of unstructured play or unstructured games that allows for this more organic connection that happens as well. Um, and then it, it also could have to do with um, uh, often out of school time uh, spaces are really uh, created within the community and so community people are involved and so that could also lead to some of this connection uh, point as well so I think it's a it's it's it points towards the 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 potential of out of school time when we're intentional about relationships I think within schools what it shows is what often many of us know is that that with large class sizes and 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 really even thinking about stand teaching to standards and the expectation of those standards and performance that are there that it can create some challenges when when there's not intentionality or resources or supporting structures around people that allow them to make these connections as a really critical part of learning. I think that's so so clear. We've um, we've we've recently started partnering with a department of parks and recreation to do a youth mentoring program. Yeah, which we're really excited about because that it brings together so many pieces. We we draw a lot on the research of Christina Bethel, who mm -hmm. did the positive experience research. Yeah. You know, the having one or more adult members outside of family was yeah. one of the critical factors, you know, and bringing the community together, and, you know, parks and recreation that's started out, it's supposed to be fun anyway. Yeah. So it brings all these things together. So we're really excited about that. And we, we use the Search Institute findings as part of the, awesome. the rationale for why this is so important to do. So it, it really is clear. And, you know, which is not to minimize the role of schools, because clearly schools, yeah. But seeing these more in partnership, yep. we're all working together. It's the same kids, the same families, right? That's we're right. all working together with that. Uh, so really, really great to, to hear about that. Um, so looking out in the future, let's, you know, we're, we're moving beyond COVID, we hope. <laughs> uh, I, I think the truth is we're yeah. moving beyond it, whether COVID moves on or not. Right, right, totally, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're moving on. Uh, as, as you see the future of the next few years, what, what, what are the priorities we should be thinking about and focusing on? What sort of next steps as we develop some of these? You know, the, the great work that Search has been doing where, where where do we take this? Where where are we going with all of this? Yeah. What are our priorities? Yeah, I think we've touched on it a, a little bit uh, so far, but I I, I really do uh, think it's critical moving forward. And I think it's 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 what often can happen when when we think about this hope of pain being transformed to purpose, right? Is that that when you go through a really difficult time and challenging time as a community, that that pain and adversity and challenge is real. And if we can have some courage there to chase that pain and be able to learn from it, it can produce purpose in the sense of it can really bring us to a place where we've learned because we've prioritized our values differently now we've seen what we what what is really important in our lives and 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 when we boil it down to to what's important for really helping us live lives that are thriving that help us 
to all, all people, all young people can thrive. It's really that access to those really key relationships and then access to resources. Of course, resources are important. We can't, we can't deny that. But if we think about what are the anecdote of, of trauma or ACEs, and we think about those protective processes or those protective child or, or, or positive childhood experiences that can really act as an anecdote to these ACEs, um, that we think about connection, uh, connection to, to, to each other, connection and community. We think about, um, uh, you, you've already touched on it, I think another really important thing that we know from the research is that uh, physical activity and being a part of something and belonging and that that's really critical. And then, and then really recognizing the importance of how do we share our resources? How do we begin to make a collective impact? What is my role? Not No, no one organization, no one person could be all things to all kids, but together collectively, if we can begin to say, well, this is a piece that we can do. This is the piece that we can do and that we can start to share language around that, then I think that's where, where, where uh, uh, systemic change happens. And I think that's where, we're, where when we think about Search Institute's role in this, it's really to, to, to help uh, uh, foster stronger relationships and connections and, and bringing people to the table around communities of practice to say, how can we collectively work together to change the outcomes for these young people? Um, and, and, and it's really, um, I think the thread that goes through all of our work, as, as Peter Benson said, is that it is all about relationships. Uh, uh, and we, but we need to really understand uh, uh, how do we do those better? And then how do we become more intentional? And, and it's not just intentionality. I, I believe that's really important. We can be intentional of building relationships, but we also have to be inclusive of everybody in those relationships as well, that even those, those, those kids, those families that can get uh, really labeled as difficult or challenging are invited in as partners. And then finally, that we're creating equitable spaces too, where so it's really that intentionality, that in inclusivity and the equi being equitable and how we, we are able to work. And I think that this is the exciting part. This is the hope. This is the, the idea of, of really um, coming out of this and beginning to transform this into a purpose that makes us better as a community, as a society, as, 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 as a uh, collective. Oh yes, that, I mean, so so powerful that that vision, the both the the collective piece um, of collective action and shared action, particularly in a, a time when society is a little a little fragmented at times, but finding those common grounds, uh, and then also the um, the shared language piece. One of the things we have loved about the search frameworks is it helps to build that, that common language so that we can all talk about it, yeah. um, starting to make it intentional. So, uh, well, then thank you so much. Thanks for the, the great work that you've been doing and uh, for all of your insights since we've been talking, we could keep going and going. Uh, just wondering as we wrap up, if there's any other thoughts that you would like to share as we close. Yeah, I think this is from the 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 wisdom of of um, my spouse and uh, wife, who who is a uh, teacher, and she will often tell me, Ben, don't 
don't tell those teachers or the practitioners that they have to do more right now because people are tired. And I think that that's what I want to say there is like, sometimes we can think we have to do more, you know, we have to do more and, and, and stepping back and really saying, how can I be in this moment at this time with these kids or with the people in my life um, in a space that uh, fosters true connection and relationship? How can I begin to, to, to build on what I'm already doing every day and be more intentional about it. Um, it's not about doing more. It's not about um, shaming for not doing enough. It's about stepping back and saying, how can I begin to make these small changes so that it can make lasting differences for the young people we work with? So that's what that would be my kind of final final piece there is it's not about doing more. It's probably more about just being more. <laughs> so <laughs> that's great and, and perfect, right? Because I think that's all our fear. It's like, how can I do more? Well, we're not doing more. We're doing differently. And we're yeah, uh, yeah. I love doing more it's being more yeah uh, great great way to pull that together well ben thank you so much and thank you to our listeners for joining community connection and our conversation with dr ben holtberg uh, you can find out more about his work on the resource pages at pinetreeinstitute.org which has several links to his works and other talks he has given uh, also has a lot of other resources on aces positive experiences, and trauma-informed care. Please visit us on our website and watch for future events on community-based approaches to trauma-informed care. Thanks so much for listening.